Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. Today we're starting a new series called All In. All In. And it's our vision series for us as a church. And I promise you, if you give me five weeks, if you give me the next five weeks, uh, and you actually apply and you actually run the play, you actually do some of the things that Scripture's telling us to do over the course of the next five, five weeks, I promise you, you will experience personal breakthrough. And that's a big guarantee, I know, but just just... Test me on that. So it's the vision for our church uh, that but really we would go all in, uh, you know, in early on in the season of early summer, late spring, uh, when people are getting pools ready. It's that moment where it's a little, it's a little cold, like you're trying, to, you're trying to ease into it to put my big toe in. Do I get in the shallow end or I could just dump? I could just like jump head first or, or just cannonball into the deep end of it. We want you to go all in in Christ. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. 16 through 18, he says this about maturity in Jesus. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul has this prayer for the early church it's God's prayer for me and you as well. And he starts everything off by saying, man, I wish you could see. I wish you would have like some wisdom and some revelation around what it is that God is calling you to. He says this in verse 17, that it would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Know him better. And so he says, listen, I want you to know God. I want you to have a personal relationship with God. That's my prayer. Everything starts in an authentic relationship with God through Jesus. And he says, if you already know him, guess what? You can know him better. Because some of you are like, I'm good. I already have a relationship. You can know him better is what Paul tells us. And then verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Your heart has eyes. It's the filter by which you view everything in your life. This is the reason why people, when you're in, when you're in a place where you're just bitter, it just every, every encounter, every relationship in your life is marked by the bitterness that you carry from something. It's just like the filter by which you live. And so uh, it's where you're holding hurts and wounds and issues, and it's where you experience good and bad. You view everything through your heart, Scripture tells us. And so Paul says, hey, I want you to get some stuff cleared up that you've been carrying around for a long time so that instead of viewing people through your shame or through your hurt, things that have been done to you or things that you've done to yourself, you begin to view people the way that God views people. And so have the, to have the eyes of your heart enlightened. And then he says this, 18, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And most of us never realize the hope to which we're called because we can't see tomorrow for staring at the junk of yesterday. And so he's like, listen, it's like looking through foggy glasses. If you've ever looked through foggy glasses, we have a nine-year-old at our house. Our Rachel Elizabeth is very active, and she's just like, woo. She's always been active, and she has glasses, real cute. It's just kind of like her look, and she, she rocks them. But every once in a while, as dad, I'll just take them off of her face, and I'll clean them. 
And I'll look at these glasses and I'm like, girl, how do you even see? Maybe you have one of these kids. How do you, or your spouse, how do you even see through these glasses? This is crazy. And what's nuts is she doesn't even realize. And so some of us are in a place today where it's like, you need clarity, you don't even realize it. You need breakthrough, you don't even realize it. You need to have some things cleaned up on the inside of your heart, and you don't even realize you're looking through foggy glasses. You can't see the purpose, the hope for which you've been called because you haven't dealt with yesterday. And the reason Paul says hope here is because your purpose in life is attached to hope. The two greatest days in your life are the day that you're born and the day that you figure out why you were born. And so that, it's just that day that you go, oh, like I understand what my calling is, what my purpose is, what the direction for my life is. And listen, the majority of the church, majority of people you know, haven't had the moment where they realize this is what I was made for. And that's what Paul says. I want that for the church. God wants that for you. That's what we want for you. Paul finishes off by saying this in verse 18. He says, here's what it all leads up to. Here's the ultimate fulfillment, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And so all of it culminates with this fulfillment, with this purpose, with this impact that happens only in the context of, Paul tells us, his holy people, which is his church, which is the body of Christ. None of us have arrived. None of us have received the full inheritance of all that God has for us. We haven't fully received all that God wants for you. There is more. I'm going to tell you some things today, and as I tell you, some of you are going to roll your eyes and be like, he said that so many times, I'm so tired of hearing him say that. But there's more for you in each of these areas. The thought is, well, I already have a personal relationship. Well, I'm already doing that. Well, I've already ran that play. Well, I've already There's more. In every single area, there's more for what we're going to cover today. I love the way that Eugene Peterson describes it in the message version, his, his interpretation of the text. He says this, I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear, so that you can see exactly what he's calling you to do and grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life he has for his followers. And so the idea is to find out, where am I at in my journey of faith? Where am I at when it comes to following Jesus? And then realizing that every single one of us, all of us, have next steps when it comes to following Jesus. Matter of fact, look at the person sitting next to you and say, you've got next steps. All right, now look back at your second choice. Tell them, hey, you look like you have a lot of next steps, my friend, okay? You enjoy that too much. So here's, so here's our, our street language at Soma for discipleship, for a, really another theological term, which is sanctification, basically spiritual formation or becoming like Jesus. We talk about next steps in following Jesus. And we talk about four primary steps, kind of big buckets, if you will, that we drop all kinds of ways that we follow Jesus. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, the first one is know God. You can know him or you can know him better. Know God is a big part of our vision as a church. It's the first part of our vision as a church. And so know God doesn't mean that we know about him, that we know cognitively like about God, or we mentally assent to the idea of God or the idea of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. It's not knowing things about scripture. People get this messed up. Man, if I just know a lot of things, I'll be good. No, you got to have a personal relationship with him. And so every time in the New Testament where it says know God, it uses a word. The original language is gnosko. Everybody say gnosko. Broom, you're, you're learning Greek today. So gnosko 
And it just means, uh, it doesn't mean mentally know, it means intimately know. It's the same word used, for example, in Genesis when Adam knew Eve. That's gnosko. It's an intimate knowledge. It's an understanding. It's like nobody knows me the way that you know me. If you're married, for example, like Brooke knows me in ways that nobody else knows me, the good, the bad, the ugly, like all the ways. Like there's an intimate knowledge, even more so for the God of the universe. He, he desires to be in a relationship with you, personally know you. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 Here's what Jesus says. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? You would think that like, if anybody's getting in, it'd be that guy, like driving out demons and performing miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never gnoscoed you. That's what he says in this moment. We didn't have a relationship. We, did, we didn't know each other. Away from me, you evildoers. Uh, I know about Steph Curry. We don't know each other. We don't break bread. You know what I mean? If we, like, we walk by, the, by each other on the street, he wouldn't be like, Mike, what's up? He wouldn't give me a hug. He would, we don't know each other. It's the difference between knowing about somebody and knowing someone. What God desires is to know you intimately, to know you personally. And so the question is, how do I know him personally? First John tells us, chapter 2, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And, and, and kind of an incorrect reading of that text is, okay, cool, uh, I, can, I can be in a relationship with God if I do all the right things or if I keep all the rules. No, you, you, it's proof that you're in a relationship with God. If out of the overflow of your relationship with God, you begin to look more like Jesus and you begin to obey him step by step. That's what that's saying. It's not about religious duty. It's about out of a relationship with Jesus, I begin to desire. He, again, he gives me a new desire and it's to do his will. And so we start taking these next steps in following Jesus. And the first action item in following Jesus that we see in scripture, when you surrender your life to Christ, and many of you have, I know I'm preaching to the choir, many of you are already there. When you've surrendered your life to Jesus, the next step that we see biblically is to be water baptized. That's the reason why we're doing baptisms today. If you're new to our church family, we love, this is our loving, we call this thing the holy hot tub, that's what we call it. And so people just go public in their faith as being dead to an old self and being raised to new life in Christ, Colossians 2.12 is what we're talking about. We're going all in. We're going all in. And for the people who are going public today, you're going all in. You're telling friends and family and everybody, this is who I am in Christ. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and look like Jesus. It just means I'm affirming, I'm affirming this is what I'm after and this is what I'm pursuing with my life. And I'm just drawing a line in the sand and I'm going public with my faith. And so be water baptized is that first step. And you may be here today and you're like, listen, I was baptized. When I was seven, I was baptized. And, and, um, and, or, or I was baptized as an infant. Or like, and and I, I'm coming from a different tradition or a different angle. And it doesn't mean that that wasn't meaningful. And it doesn't mean that your family members in, in christened, and you being christened or, or being baptized as an infant, really their version of dedication wasn't standing in front of church and family and really God saying, Man, we hope they choose God. But there's a difference between that and believers' baptism, water baptism that we see in the New Testament. 27 times in the New Testament, uh, there's people who go public with their faith right after they believe in Christ. And so my question is for you today, did you have a relationship with Jesus when you were baptized? 
And, and if not, then be baptized. And so, so it, basically every New Testament believer, they go and they get baptized after they have come to faith and surrendered their lives to Jesus. Again, not knowing about Jesus, but knowing him. I, this is who I am in Christ now. Because the thought is, well, I've already done it one time. Does it mess up? Like, no, it just affirms whatever you thought the first time. It just affirms whatever tradition or whatever experience you had before. My wife's a great example. So Brooke, Brooke grew up in a Methodist tradition. And, uh, and as an adult, married with kids, she was water baptized, not to undo what she did as an infant, not to under, undo her experience as a kid or to disrespect her family in any way, but just to affirm Here's who I am in Christ. It's just a public affirmation of my faith in Jesus. And she did it as a believer, as an adult. We see biblical precedent. For example, this is Acts 2, 41. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching. And uh, the same guy who denies Jesus publicly just a, uh, just a few days prior to this moment, he denies Jesus publicly three times. Uh, he preaches. 3,000 people respond. Kind of a good day. And so he says this, Acts 2.41, he says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so after they accept the message, after they surrender their life to Jesus, they believe, confess, they go public. And if you want to be in a relationship with Jesus, you need to follow him in water baptism. Again, the whole idea is to be a very public display of your faith. Uh, the whole idea is it's a little bit awkward, right? It's just very public. It's just like, this is wild. And so, but again, we're following Jesus in this. And so once we know him and we've been baptized, again, there's more for us. So uh, getting closer to him and experiencing the more that he has for us, the second thing that he wants for us, and Paul tells us, is finding freedom. He wants us to find freedom. This is Ephesians 1.18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And so once I'm in relationship with Jesus, now his very spirit and the power that raised Jesus from the dead actually lives inside of me. Whether or not I lean into that, it's there once I'm in Christ. And, and I can let God do a work on the issues of my life. Because you can be saved and you can still have issues. You can be saved and you can still have addictions. You can still have unforgiveness. You can still have uh, unresolved junk that you've been dragging around for years, trying to manage it in your own strength. But you don't have to do that. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit, like God's leading us to a place where he wants us to find freedom and deliverance from past shame, things that you've done to yourself or things that people have done to you. And I didn't even learn this until I honestly, the way that we teach through this, I didn't even learn this until like four years ago, just to like encourage you. The way that we teach this as a church, like I'd spent a lifetime. I grew up in the church. I spent a lot of time at an altar. I don't know if y'all had that church growing up, but like we just hit the altar your boy was at the altar on a regular basis. Like, how many times can I get saved? Like, I was just at, I was just like at the altar, and I was like, man, I keep struggling with the same stuff, you know? Like, and so, but about four years ago, I just had this talk, and it just was like real breakthrough for us personally, and really for our church family. The whole, the whole design, God desires for you to have deliverance and experience freedom. And so, um, every single one of us need freedom. Every single one of us need deliverance. And so uh, here's Proverbs 4, 23. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And so we all have issues, every single one of us. Bible tells us that all are with, all, uh, every single one of us uh, have sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
So look to the person next to you, say, you got issues. Look, look to your second choice, say, you got issues too. If you're mad at me right now and you're like, I don't have issues, you have more issues than any of us. And so every single one of us, we have stuff that we got to work on. And some of us grew up with a religious mindset where if, I, if, I, if I'm open and I'm honest about the things that I'm struggling with, then I'm not saved, then I don't have a relationship, then it's, you know, instead of, or you're human, <laughs> and I'm in process, and I'm, and I'm like growing in maturity in Christ, but I'm not Christ, and so it's like there's, and so, but the religious mindset that we had, a lot of us growing up was like, if we could just pretend like it's all good, you know what I mean? Like, if we could just keep it together, Okay, if we could just not yell at each other in the church parking lot, if you just tuck your shirt tail in, keep the grass mowed, and just like, just like the religious whole Southern, like Southeast American, like Christianese, kind of like, if we could just pretend like we had it all together, then, then people won't know how jacked up we are. Except you know how jacked up you are, right? And so, it, so he's just calling us to a place. Paul's like, why are you pretending? Just deal with the things that you need to deal with. And the question is, how do we find freedom? And a lot of people, including myself, hate this action item attached to this part of the vision because the thought is, man, me and God will just work it out. Like, God loves me. He'll forgive me. And he does. And he will forgive you. But also, he's just tired of you, like, managing it in your own strength. Here's the action item that he has attached to finding freedom. This is James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. Mm, is there another way? No, that's the only way. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Like, yes, that's it. So, and it just, but having been through it, like the idea is to, you confess to somebody, here's what I've been struggling with. Here's what I've been dealing with. Here's what plagues me. Here's the stronghold. Here's the junk that I've been handling for years, trying to manage in my own strength. And then you begin to confess to someone. You say, hey, would you pray for me? They pray for you. And you go, whoa, that's way lighter. Oh, wow, that yoke is easy. Wow, that's crazy. So no longer do I have to carry that. He's like, stop carrying it around. It's so dumb. And so there's a bunch of us in this room, man, who carry around. And I'm including myself in this. You carry around wounds and hurts and addictions and habits. And there's many areas, listen, of, of my life, your life, where we need, we, we needed a, a change and we need growth. And God's way of growth in those areas is by confession and prayer with other believers. As a matter of fact, every revival, every great move of God starts with confession and prayer. And so we all want that. We all love the idea of revival. We all love the idea of riding the wave. We all hate the idea of sackcloth and ashes. Except it's like kind of goes together. This whole idea of like confession and prayer doesn't have to be a scary thing. You just need some people in your life who you can do life and faith. You need people in your life who love Jesus, who love you, who you can just talk about hard things that you're navigating, things that have done, been done to you, things that you've done to yourself, things you need prayer for, and then they pray for you, and it gets lighter. You need people in your life who can look at you when you tell them crazy stuff, and they're like, me too. They're like, oh, okay, me too, me too. And so that's what we need. And so uh, here's the action item. The action item is get in a small group. So if knowing God, if the action attached to that is, hey, go public with your faith if you've surrendered your life in Christ, here's an action attached to finding freedom. You need people. you got to get in a small group. And many of you people already, you group already. You just don't do it with purpose. So you hang out with people who love you maybe, but maybe who don't love Jesus. Or you're not sitting around basically talking about what can I do to become more like Christ 
with that group of people, but you already group. And so the idea is to do it with intentionality to build biblical community. Again, not just the temple courts because Acts tells us the church gathers big. Awesome. Do that. Great. But also house to house. You got to get together with people who know you by name. If you've been coming for a season and nobody knows you, nobody knows your story, your testimony, nobody knows your kids that they got a soccer game on Saturday or the hard things that you're going through. You need people like that in this season. And as we grow and scale as a church, it's going to require even more of that. Um, some people come to Soma in this season and they say, man, the church is too big. And the church is too big if you don't know anybody. It doesn't matter how big the church is. Church could be 60 people, 300 people, thousands of people. If you never meet anybody, church is too big. And so it, it, and some of it's like, if this is the fifth or sixth time, this is the fifth or sixth church, and you're just like complaining about how you haven't met anybody, it's probably, there's a common denominator there is all I'm saying. Okay, so you got to be intentional about biblical community. You have to like lean into the vision. Small groups is our vehicle for that. And it's not perfect, but it, it's our vehicle. And so you just got to try it on because you, you try one out. You're like, oh, this is not my thing. Try a different one. Or you try one out. You're like, I'm more mature, mature than any of these jokers. Start one. Like f- figure out, f- you got to figure out what's your fit. And so here's my ask to be intentional about growing smaller as we grow larger as a church. The church is too big if you don't know anybody. And, and, and people like when we add services, people are like, why are we adding services? Why are we making more room for more people? Because heaven and hell are real and because life is short and because the Great Commission isn't a suggestion and people matter to God. So it's like, what would, what would I say if like we had one service, because everybody, a lot of you, a lot of people show up at 930. So what if I said, hey, we're all going to do 930 and we're good. Like we're just, your boy's tired. I just want to do one service and we're good. We have money. We don't really need to like, because this is the mindset of some people. Like, hey, we're full. Church is full. What? The church is not an event. It's not a location. It's not a building. It's not an organization. It's a people. And he's after more. And listen, if you're, if you're in Christ, if you know him, here's the more for you. Because you're like, good, bro, I already got a relationship with Jesus. Cool. Now your more is to help other people have a relationship with Jesus. If you're like, hey, I'm already in a group and I've just kind of hit a ceiling with group life. Cool. Here's your more. Now your job is to help other people build biblical community and find what you've what you found in the freedom that you have. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, big and small, as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You got to meet with people. You can't, listen, you can't navigate all that life throws at us and try and become more like Jesus in isolation. There's no biblical precedent. You need people to find freedom. Because again, James 5 tells us that's, that's the way God works. I got to begin to express what I'm going through so people can pray for me and walk with me through it. Here's the third part of the vision is discover purpose. Paul says in Ephesians 1, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So I'm going to enlighten you. I'm going to help you to see some things. I'm going to clear up some things in your heart. Why? I'm going to do it so that I can give you over to this hope, this purpose, this direction for your life. Paul says it this way in the book of Romans. We each have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And so all of us have been given once we come to faith in Christ. And again, the very spirit of God comes to reside in us. He gives us the power to begin to deal with and, and be delivered from and find freedom from the areas that maybe you've struggled to manage your whole life. But then he also will give you a gift. 
And sometimes that gift aligns with things that you've always been good at. Sometimes it's brand new. Like a new desire, a new angle, a new gift that you've never had before Christ. Now all of a sudden you have this gift, but it's just a gift. It's like a grace gift. Like you, like you were made to do it. As a matter of fact, somebody's told you that before. You were made to do that. And it's just a grace gift. This word, when he says, when Paul says grace, according to the grace given to each of you, he's not talking about a grace for salvation, like amazing grace uh, that we experienced in salvation. That's awesome. And God gives that grace. He's talking about uh, it, the, the word, the original word in the Greek is charis, which, uh, which, the, which is where we get the word charismatic, which will freak a lot of you out, depending on the tradition or where you come from. But a bit of context, if you, in case you're new to our church, I grew up in a small Pentecostal church. I went to a Baptist church in college. I married a girl from the Methodist church, and I went to Presbyterian seminary. Okay, So I'm well aware of the stigma attached to the charismatic movement. People rolled up in my church back in the day were like, okay, look. Are we going to drink some strychnine or shake snakes or what's happening? Do you have a ministry solely dedicated to just like pushing people on the ground or are there ribbon dancers or what's going to happen right now? People are freaking out. But, but when he says grace, uh, this whole charis word and this charismatic just means that God gives gifts and he gives you the gift to help him in his cause, his agenda, build out his church, advance his mission. Again, things you can't do in your own strength. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, same joker who denied Jesus publicly just a few days prior with boldness and conviction, just eloquently in a 10 minute message, 3000 people respond to that message and come to faith in Christ. He didn't even have six services. He wasn't even broadcasting. My man was just, he was just, and, and, and so that's a gift. That's a grace on his life. You and all have you and every single person in this room, you have a grace gift. If you're in Christ, you have a grace gift. You have a spiritual gift. And it's something that when you do it, you think, man, I was made for this. So even in this space, when you walk in on a Sunday, some of you, you're more task oriented, right? You just like, you just love a task. Give me a list. Oh, like, or you walk into a space like this and you look at all the backs of the chairs and you see the pins that are like turned the wrong way or, you know what I mean? Or like you're straightening chairs when you're coming. You go into the bathroom, you use the restroom and you pick up the paper towels off the floor and throw it away and wipe down the sinks. Some of y'all are like, yeah, he's preaching at me, right? So you're shaking your head. And some, some of you... Um, you know, you, you walk in, you gravitate towards people. You don't see none of that junk. You don't see any of you. At home, you don't see it either, right? Your, your room is a wreck. But you walk into a space like this, and you see people. And what happens is overwhelmingly, a lot of people come to you, and it's like, you even say this sometimes. People are like, wow. It's like, people who are going through really hard things always come to me. It's almost like I'm a magnet for, like, broken people. It's like, because you have the gift of mercy, and so it, some of you walk into a space like this and you hear what I do and you're like, he's okay, I could do it better. It's because you have the gift of teaching, you have the gift of exhortation, you have the gift of leadership, you have the gift, you have the gift. And so uh, some of us, you're, you're generous, you have the gift of giving, spiritual gift of giving. So you tithe an offering, that's nothing for you, but just your life is just like everywhere you go, you're just trying to like buy somebody's meal to the point that your spouse is like, calm down. Like, cause you're like, so you're just, you have the gift of giving. You want to bless people. Some of, some of our team right now, for example, right now, while we're meeting up here, there's people who have the gift of serving. There's people who have the gift of pastor shepherding people who are right now serving our kids in this moment because they have a passion for a drive for a heart for the next generation. And they go, this is so important. Cause I remember what it was like for me in my Sunday school experience or my kids church experience. Or what, I remember the people by name who poured into my life and people who are stepping into the call that God has on their life right now because it's just a gift. 
Some of y'all walk in there, you would stress out. If you were in, if you were in one of them kids' rooms, you would be like, oh my gosh, you would leave some duct tape, duct tape some kids to some chairs and you'd be casting out demons and everything. But like, there's people down there loving on our kids right now because it's a gift. Some of you have that gift. Here's the point. Why do we have the gift? First Peter 4.10 tells us, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to what? <laughs> Serve yourself. To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The whole reason that you have everything that God has given you is for others. Your relational capital, your time, your talent, your treasure, your equity, everything that God hands you, your grace gifts is for others is what he tells us. And so how do we discover our grace gifts? How do we discover our purpose here at Soma? Here's our vehicle for that is a 10 growth track. A 10 growth track. You've heard me talk about it before. You're like, cool, I've been through growth track. But if you've never been through growth track, go through growth track. This is not a discipleship class. The end goal isn't spiritual formation or maturity. You're not going to look like Jesus in three weeks. That is not what it's about. Our goal is to get the process started so you can have a conversation around purpose and calling so we can help you think about your next steps and help you think about your gifts and help you think about it not just in the context of Sunday. That's really important. But just in life. Like, if you, if you had no idea that you have a spiritual gift, you have them. Do you know what they are? What are the things that you're affirmed in? What are the things that you're passionate about? What are the hard things you've gone through in life? You're like, why do I have to go through that? And nobody's ever told you the reason why you, reason why you went through that is to serve other people in the hard things you went through. Like, all of, it, all of it points to purpose. And the vehicle that we have for this is growth track. And the majority of the people in church on any given Sunday have no clue what their purpose is. They know what they do for a living. They know where they're going to go to school. They know where they get a paycheck. They know all that. But they still are struggling with this idea of purpose. And I'm telling you, if you, will, if you allow God, if you allow the Holy Spirit just to reveal to you how you were called, how you were graced, you will see purpose every single day. You don't have to move to another country. You don't have to quit your job. You literally just have to pay attention. And he will allow you to use your gift of leadership Use your gift of giving, use your gift of knowledge, use your gift of prayer. He, he can, you can use it anywhere, Monday through Sunday, not just on Sundays. And so it leads us to the final part of the vision. This is the best that God has for us. It all culminates with this. The fourth thing is make a difference. Making a difference. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I wish you know him better. I wish the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You could be given over to this great hope and a few future purpose and direction for your life. And all of that leads us to the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. And so all of us are looking for joy. Every single one of us in this room, joy is a great felt need. It's a universal felt need. We all want it. We're all after it. But so many of us were stressed and we're trying to handle our stress. You're trying to manage your stress. And part of your stress can be solved by not fixing your stress, by putting something in the place of your stress. You need something in your life worth living for, and then all the hard things are put into perspective. So the reason why Paul has the resolve that he has, the reason why the apostles have the resolve that they have, the reason why the, new church, new, uh, the first century church have the resolve that they have, and people that you know who just on purpose, for a purpose, just dialed in and fixated on, I'm doing this with my life, I don't care what it costs. Like, the hard things in life begin to fade away, the stresses and the anxiety, not that they go away. It's just that in comparison, their eyes are fixed. Their eyes are fixed. And so are your eyes fixed on the joy that he set before you? Real joy doesn't come from vacation. 
Vacation is fun. I'm a huge fan. Uh, But real joy doesn't come from hunting or golfing or going to Target or eating the best food. Those are great things. It doesn't come from a successful career or when you finally get the house or the car that you always wanted. People who are like, man, if I could just make that amount of money. And then you make that amount of money and you bought all the things. So now you got to make more money to keep up all the things that you bought, right? Or you finally get the title that you thought you wanted. And you're like, that's it? And you get to the end of a career, like, they gave me a watch. That's what, that's what, we did all that for a watch. So it's, so it's like, it's, it, what you think you're after is, is not going to be the thing that holds it. Real joy only comes when you live your life in such a way that you're making a difference in the lives of others. And you can do it, again, you can do this regardless of what you do for a living. It's not about a particular vocation. It's about exercising your gifts and your call where God plants you. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Who do you want me to serve? Lift my head, Holy Spirit. Help me to see opportunities to live out my call. John 15, 8 and 11, it says this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus says, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to make an impact. I want you, I want you to, I, I, cause, and then he says, hey, you're going to come alive when you actually impact other people in a way that you've never been alive before. Secular sociologists believe this. They, they even say this. They say that the height of fulfillment comes when you and I make a difference in people's lives. That's why people are like, I'm going to be a doctor because they see the height of, like, the height of fulfillment is in medicine. Or I'm going to be a teacher. The height of fulfillment is in education. In education. you're probably doing whatever you're doing right now because you thought, man, like, that's what it's all about. And that's awesome. But you can do this regardless of what you do. Like, it doesn't matter what vocation you have. You can literally make a difference right where you're at. And I'll say this. Here's the way that God works. Uh, Because the thought is, man, the bigger the influence or the bigger the platform or, you know, the bigger the opportunity or whatever, the greater the impact. Read your Bible. Like everybody that God chooses is just an unassuming character. It's just like that brother. Like, so, so just feel good about wherever you're at. Cause you're like, my job isn't that great. My platform's not that great. My influence bull, just follow Jesus. Just let the Holy spirit empower you. Just use your gifts right where you're at and you will make a difference. And listen, there will be a rippled effect to your making a difference. It just, it's not just like the people right around you. It's the people years from now who are impacted as a result of your faithfulness right now. Like, how crazy is this? I'm here because of my parents' faith, because of my, my, the, where, the church that I grew up in, just people that impacted me from an early age, and you probably are as well, the faith of others who got you here. So make a difference in people's lives. And here's what we do. Here's how we do that as a church family. We join the dream team. Dream Team is really the application for this. It's really just servant leaders who help us do everything that we do as a church. And so if you're new to our church family, this is what we call our servant leaders. They lay down time, talent, and treasure to make a difference in the lives of others. Every single, every single salvation. We've had over 400 people come to faith in Christ in a 16-month period. All of that as a result of people who've said, you know what? It's worth my time. It's worth my talent. I'm going to use my grace gifts on Sunday, but also Monday through Sunday. I'm going to invest financially because there's really no better. Like Jesus promises to build one thing and then promises that the gates of hell are not going to prevail over that one thing. That's a good return on investment. Like you can probably take that one to the bank. You know what I mean? The church in general, not just this one, Big C Church. And so 
It's a good thing to give your life toward. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ. You're the soma of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you, which means all of you, not a percentage of you, not 20% is that 20% rule, 20% of the people do 100% of the work, not that. It's like, no, the difference between the, the American church or the modern day church today and the, the, the first century church, the church in Acts, is they, when they heard Jesus say, hey, all of you, when they heard scripture say, hey, all of you, they were like, oh, all of us, okay. Like, and they all ran, the, many hands make light work. God did incredible work through the early church. All of them are playing their part. And we want you to discover your purpose so that we can all make a difference. Because the reality is, as Soma, we're already making a great impact. Imagine how much more of an impact we could make if you would join the vision. If there's areas that you have to grow in and things that you're not currently doing, and you're like, bro, I'm brand new. It's my first day. Calm down. Okay, tune me out. But if you've been around for months, you're like, okay, take a next step. We got growth track step one today after the 15 service. Some of you have come to faith in Christ. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never been water baptized. We literally are just right there. We got everything that you could possibly need, okay? So it's like, take a next step in following Jesus. Um, last thing, you might be here and be think, you might be thinking, I'm doing all the things you've talked about. And again, I just want to remind you, there is more for every single one of us. There's more in growing a relationship with God, more freedom, more purpose. And you might think, I got freed up from some junk. Woo, I feel light. Ha, ah, like I, I got freed. Guess what? There will be more. I don't want to discourage you. I want to encourage you. You're human. You live in an already not yet kingdom. And this side of eternity, you're never going to navigate life perfectly. You're always going to need Jesus. You're always going to need to be dependent. You're always going to need more of him. It's the reason why you need a relationship. But there's also a reason you need to trust him with yesterday and tomorrow. You need to trust him with your future. And there's always going to be more. And it shouldn't, it, for some of you, it can, it can feel a little bit discouraging. It's like, man, but it, it, it encourages me to know that I'm not doing this in isolation, but this is what Jesus has been doing and been building for the past 2,000 years. There's always more purpose because the thought is, I know what I'm called to do, but guess what? As you navigate what you're called to do, this is my personal experience. There's like new opportunities and new depths and new ways and new angles on that specific purpose that were not on your radar. I'm living in it right now. Did not have the faith or the vision for where we're at currently as a church. Just a heads up. His ideas and vision are better. <laughs> so there's more, pur- there's more purpose and, and there's more making a difference if we do it together. I want to close uh, by helping some of us with our next steps in water baptism and really just to encourage and just uh, express gratitude for those who are taking the next step in baptism. We practice baptism because Jesus models it, but he also just tells us to do it, which is like, that's good enough for us. So this is Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And baptism means to submerge in water. That's literally what the word means, which is why we practice it, the way that we practice it. So we, and also, if you've never been baptized, you're freaked out by the idea of somebody baptizing you. We don't hold you down. Like we let you know it's coming, you take a breath, you can hold your nose, whatever you want to do, okay? So it's like people are, people are a little ner- nervous about that. But, we, but the, idea, the idea is to go public with your faith 
in Jesus. Jesus is baptized, he modeled it, and it's important to follow him in what he did. He calls us to do it. And so, uh, and, and you may be here today, because I know this tension, this happens a lot, where you feel like that's the next step for you, but you thought, I know that's what God's been telling me to do, but we got launch plans. What? Like, I mean, blooming onions are good. They're not that good. So it's like, it's like, bro, just if you feel like the Holy Spirit's asking you to do a thing, you feel like God's asking you to do a thing, we came prepared for you to participate right now. We will capture it. We will video it. We will take photos. We will tell your story. We, will, we have everything that you could possibly need in order to take that next step and go public. As The band's going to lead us in a final song in a minute. And as they do that, if you want to take part in baptism real time, you're like, I wouldn't plan on that, but the Lord was. You want to take part in baptism, you can just step out from where you're at as we lead through this last song, as we sing this last song. Come forward right here on this side. Our team would love to serve you in baptism. We got the stuff that you need. So be praying and thinking on that. Um, and, and, and here's the last thing for us to think about. Attached to all of what we've talked about today. This is Matthew 10, 32 through 33. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. It's Jesus. He's just giving, he's just giving us words, just saying, hey, if you're a follower of me, if you've surrendered your life, let them know. Tell them what you're about. And every single one of us in this room, all of us have a next step. Every single one of us. All of us. It, and, and, and it never stops. So, I want you to pray through and think through as we close in prayer. What Holy Spirit, like, what's my next step? God, what do you want me to do? Who are you calling me to be? Who are you calling me to become? What's, we talked about action items today. What's the thing that I know, I know I'm supposed to be about and I'm supposed to do next, but I've just been holding off on that. Write it down. More importantly, execute on that next step. Uh, Every single one of you, you have next step cards in the front, uh, in the seat in front of you, okay? So if you know of an action item, if you know something you need a next step in today, take a minute. If you're new to our church family, take a minute. Write down next steps. If you've come to faith in Christ, let us know. Write down next steps. If you want to take part in baptism, take part in baptism today. Growth track step one today. Get plugged into a group. Serve on Dream Team. Take a next step. Follow Jesus in, in, in maturing and looking more like him. All of it leads to him. All of it is about him. These are vehicles to help you grow in your faith. These are not ends and of themselves. These are not, listen, if you make it about boxes to check, it'll feel just like that. It'll feel like dead religion. If you make it about, I just want to know more of Jesus. I want to grow, become more like Jesus. I want to love Jesus more. Then he'll leverage, the, he'll leverage each of these uh, steps in ways that he wouldn't if you're just like, I just want to do a religious thing. It's not about religious activity. It's about a personal relationship with him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us, God. Grateful that we get to gather as your church today. And so grateful that you take us on a journey. And you love us so much that you come and you lay your life down and you live and die and you're risen again so that we could have new life in you and freedom in you. But not just the experience of salvation and the future hope of eternity, but then you begin a journey, a process with us. You take us the next steps following you becoming more like you and you shepherd us and you lead us to green pastures and you lead us beside still waters and the hard things in life that we've tried to manage in our own strength. You say, would you hand it to me? 
I got paid for that already. Would you just hand it to me? Get freed up from some things. And then as you're freed up, your heart begins to clear up. You begin to see people differently. I'll give you over to a great purpose and a great call. You're already headed in the right direction, but man, it could just be so more clear. It could be so more re- refined. It could be so much a great, it could be a greater impact if you would just let me take some of the, the hurts from yesterday and some of the shame and the fear, the anxieties attached to sin and brokenness in your life. Would you just let, help me to free you up so that you can find that freedom and you can discover your purpose. And then ultimately be a part of something bigger than yourself. Be a part of the body of Christ. Be a part of this thing that Jesus is building. Every single one of us have a part to play. Every single one of us have a grace gift. Every single one of us are called to lay down our agenda and step into his agenda. And he wants great things for you, better things that you want for yourself. But we have to have that moment where we realize, okay, Lord, I surrender. I'm going all in. I'm going all in. I'm going public with my faith. I'm telling people where I'm at. I'm being honest about where I'm at, the things I've gone through, the things I've done, the things I'm I'm just going in this season, God, give me over to more of you. I want to go all in. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you could spend a lifetime in a church building doing religious things and never gnosko him and never be in a personal relationship with him. You don't want that moment where he says, yeah, they did things in my name, but we didn't have a relationship. If you're here today and you question that or you just know, man, I've just been operating, just kind of going through the motions, and I really haven't surrendered my life to him. I know that we don't have a personal relationship, but I desire a personal relationship. Jesus says, hey, if you're drawn near to me, I draw near to you. If you're asked, man, I'll answer. If you'll seek, you'll find me. If you'll knock, man, the door will be open. You just got to lean in. This is your moment, your opportunity to do that. The Bible tells us that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you'll experience salvation. And so with all of our heads bowed in the room today, if that's you and you want to surrender your life to Christ, would you just raise your hand in the room and say, I need that moment where I surrender my life to Jesus. I want to always give us an opportunity for people to respond and just confess him as Lord. Right where you're at, amen. Right where you're at, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for dying in my place and being raised from dead so that I could be raised from dead as well. Thank you that you not only want me to experience heaven, but you want me to be led this side of eternity. So Holy Spirit, would you lead me in the days moving forward? Help me to see Jesus and become more like him. Give me that next step today that you want me to participate in. God, I'm praying for those that are gonna be stepping forward in baptism today, those that are going public with their faith. God, we're so grateful for the ways that you've stirred people's hearts and you'd ripen people's hearts and you've met people in this space and you've used family and friends and people to draw people to yourself. And even for those who are gonna step out today who weren't even planning on being baptized when they showed up, but Holy Spirit, you had plans for them. For those who are just gonna respond real time for baptism, I'm grateful. Help us to look more like you, Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. We love you and it's in your name we pray.